This episode is sponsored by Auxilio Partners. Our calling is freeing you to pursue your call to plant. Find out how at auxilio.partners slash five points. You're listening to the Five Points Church Planting Podcast, where two church planters try to make one good point. My name is Reed, and I'm the intern pushing all the buttons. We're back with our resident church planters this week to talk about what does phase one of planting a church actually look like. So here's John and Hunter. John, it's the day after the election, and we still don't know who the president of the United States will be, but uh, I had to share this with you. This is great election day humor, or at least it shows how twisted perhaps my humor is. So I noticed yesterday in the Memphis area that a funeral home was offering to take people to the polls to vote. So I I applaud their willingness to take people uh, to cast their ballot, but I could not get the imagery out of my mind of a hearse pulling up and someone getting out of the back to to go vote <laughs> only only in 2020 would something like that happen yeah do you think they're offering a discount if you bring your loved ones a ballot with them as you do their funeral they should if they're willing to ride in the back okay. of the hearse don't you think <laughs> i guess so i'm sure they took them in something else other than a hearse or at least i would hope so yeah Yeah, I would hope so too. All right. Well, what are we talking about today, Hunter? Well, we're going to talk about the phases of being a church planter or the phases in the life of a church plant. Uh, You and I both seem to agree that there are four phases, but we're going to talk about the first phase today. What does it look like for a church planter in that, that first episode in the life of a church plant? Yeah. So maybe the best way to describe this phase is preparation, right? It could look as uh, as quick as you've moved and you're doing the preparation while you're on location. It could be uh, you, you know where the Lord's called you and you have a call and, and you have a bit of a runway. Maybe that's an apprenticeship for as little as a year, as much as three years. Uh, but you have this goal to go plant a church. So how do you begin those first few steps? How do you prepare uh, yourself, your family? uh, You start to lay the seeds for gathering people, uh, how to pay the bills, all those kind of things uh, are really the first questions you start asking uh, as you consider church planting. So that's what we're going to dive into today. So uh, where do we start? What does it look like to prepare to plant a church? What's What's the first thing we need to do? I think after you have begun the identification of individuals and families that you're going to pursue in terms of fundraising, uh, I think the, the next step would be researching your community that you plan to, to go to, to move to the community where you plan to live and plant. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think we all start out uh, as church planters having an idea of where we want to plant or where the Lord's calling us. And then the first thing you do is uh, you pull up Wikipedia and you look at the population trends. You look at the demographics, you look at, you know, some, some of those details about the community. Right. And there's even some more in-depth demographic work you can do. I know our presbytery uh, or our region or whatever buys into a, a program called mission insight. Sure. 
and it gives you some really scary details in terms of detail uh, uh how thorough it is it must draw from from credit cards or i don't know where it gets all its information it tells you you know uh who what kind of uh political leanings people have uh what kind of jobs they have it gives it gives you all of these details about stage of life and uh and trends in the community and all of that stuff's really helpful of course once you get to your target area you want to go and fact check all of that stuff because uh, i'm pretty skeptical of demographics and statistics in general in terms of painting a clear picture but you're right you're, you're trying to begin to think what does it look like to reach not just a generic person but the particular people in a, in a city or in a neighborhood and so uh, the more you can know about them going in, the better, especially as you're kind of putting together uh, how to execute the mission of making disciples. Sure. And if you want to go the free route, which is always, I think is always a route that church planters are seeking to follow, <laughs> you can visit your tourism department. You can visit your chamber of commerce. They have a lot of helpful information The in both the plants that I've undertaken, the Chamber of Commerce put me in touch with a few individuals in the community that that was their specialty in some sense. And it was it was worth the price of taking them to lunch and having coffee with them. They were more than willing to help. And in fact, in one in one particular case, the, the gentleman was was not a believer at all, but was willing to help. And, and the information that I got from them was very beneficial to what I was hoping to accomplish. Yeah, I've heard of uh, different people going to meet the mayor or, you know, city councilman or something and just asking questions. Uh, when we first visited here up in Fargo, uh, before we even had the call, um, we were kind of doing an exploratory visit. We went to the visitor center where they have the wood chipper from the movie. So we took a picture and maybe we can post that with the episode uh, with the wood chipper. And right. uh, But the lady working at the counter, you know, she was just a college aged girl. Um, but we asked her all sorts of questions. Uh, we're kind of a border town with Minnesota. And so there's a kind of a sister city, uh, Moorhead, Minnesota. And mm -hmm. it said, you know, what's what's the divide like? Does it matter if you live in this side or that side? Or, you know, just all sorts of questions like that, asking about the college in town. Um, it, and, you know, these are people that grew up here and uh, maybe they haven't really thought through some of those things. But if you ask good questions, um, then you begin to get a, you know, lived bodied picture of what people in the in the town are like and so that was really helpful for me early on I, I probably could have done more in terms of uh surveying people that maybe would have had uh stronger insights but ultimately once we started gathering people of course you can ask the people that are going to be part of your church uh you know some of those same questions so sure okay so you, you get a picture of, of where you're going the the people you're trying to meet maybe uh where you want to live uh, how are you going to get there? What's, uh, what's it look like? Uh, we'll, we'll start with, uh, with, with fundraising, right? I mean, that's a huge part of preparing to plant a church. Um, what were you told about fundraising as you, uh, were seeking to plant a church and how did that uh, process begin for you? Well, John, it began from a very frightening perspective, for lack of a better way of saying it, uh, when I, the first church that I planted, I resigned from my position as assistant pastor on a Sunday, the mo following Monday, I went to meet with an associate pastor of the mother church. And I had just naturally made the assumption 
that money had been set aside for this church plant opportunity. And that would buy me the necessary time that I needed in order to raise funds. And so we meet, we have coffee and I find out that no money has been set aside. And Mm -hmm. so thankfully at that time, my wife was working. We didn't have children. We were okay in some sense until I was able to raise the necessary funds. But it's really the first thing you do because some presbyteries, some mother churches require the planter to have X amount committed before he moves on the field. And so you have to get busy. You have to get started. And so for me in in the second plant, I, I really had to rely on more fundraising from individuals than churches in in the previous church plan it was more church driven and less individual driven and so i was on the i jumped on the process extremely early and was able to have a certain level of commitment before it was time for us to move on the field the presbytery where i am located did not specify a, a percentage but they said get started and when you're comfortable And your session, your borrowed session, the elders who are overseeing your church plant, when they feel comfortable with what you have committed, then you can make the transition. Yeah. No, that's good. I've heard some good counsel. Uh, This isn't exactly what I did, but that you should have uh, three years of annual budget uh, raised in pledges, hopefully some of it in the bank, before you uh, move to the field. Um, you know, I had a little bit of a, an on-ramp where I was doing an apprenticeship, which of course I had to raise money for that as well. Um, but my host church, uh, was, was, uh, footing some of that bill and it gave me some time to not only begin the, the networking for fundraising, but also to see some gifts start coming in before we hit the, hit the ground. Uh, so you, you talked about individuals versus church-based giving, uh, what, yeah, let's just talk about that a little bit. Uh, where does all of this money come from? If I have to raise three years of budget, we'll say, you know, on the short end, that's, you know, $350,000 or something. Maybe it's $500,000. That's a lot of money. How, where does that money come from? It's, it's twofold. It, on the left hand, it's churches. On the right hand, it's individuals. And you have to address both at the same time. The way that I looked at it was I'm going to, I'm going to raise support in phases. The first phase is I'm going to raise enough to pay for my salary and to enable me to move to the field and do some of the rudimentary basics of church planning. Step mm-hmm. two, phase two, is expanding that budget, raising support for an expanded budget. And that included an intern to assist me with the church plant that also included Mm -hmm. office space. And that also involved rental space in terms of a place for us to meet down the road for worship. And then the phase three or part three of raising support is more along the lines of what you wish might happen, but your church plant could still do fine without it. And so that's how I've tackled this process. It's raising support on three levels. It's a continual process. It's not giving up. It's not stopping when you reach a certain amount. Um, that's yep. what, that's what I've done. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm two years in, uh, well, getting, getting well into my third year and, 
and the budget's always changing and the needs are always there. You're seeing where internal giving is at. And uh, I'm actually in the midst of a, a current fundraising campaign. And so, yeah, it never really ends. I, I kind of think of, of uh, fundraising as kind of a shotgun blast in some ways. Um, you you kind of have to go for everything. There's, there's going to be networks and there's going to be your presbytery. If you have a sending church, you know, hopefully they have some sort of buy-in. You have individuals in those churches and you have your your own personal network of, of friends and family that uh, support what you're doing. And, uh, and then you just have, you know, just kind of the random church across the country that hears about what you're doing or you get connected to at a conference or general assembly or something like that. And you begin to build these relationships and in uh, each of those, you know, plays a, a part. Uh, when I thought about fundraising, I've kind of gone after some, some big rocks. Our presbytery had, had some money set aside for our plant uh, in order to call us. And, uh, and so that was the first big rock in our jar. Um, and we got a, a grant from a, a foundation. And, and so that was another rock. We had these different big rocks, but really what sustains our church is we have these ongoing monthly gifts from individuals, you know, where they've committed to three years or right. so of, of ongoing giving. And so somebody that gives say a hundred dollars a month, um, you know, that's, that's $1,200 a year, but over three years, that's $3,600. And you multiply that by, you know, however many people, all of a sudden your little gifts uh, become, you know, their own big rock in the jar. They're just filling in the gaps and, and that consistent income over time. It really does give you the ability to go and uh, continue the ministry. I mean, that's, that's really, as you think about fundraising, uh, the whole point of fundraising, especially before you get on the field, before you really get in earnest of planting so that you don't have to be consumed with how you're going to pay your bills and you can spend your right. time and your energy, uh, you know, reaching people with the gospel. So sure. John, I would add to that just quickly that, and I know this, I'm sure this is your experience as well. Just be prepared for the fact that the people who you think are going to give are going to surprise you in, in the fact that they won't. And the people that you don't think will give will. So it is a, it's a guessing game and it's always surprising who gives and who doesn't give. And from a, a spiritual standpoint, as you're preparing to go to the field, as you're in this preparation stage and you're raising support is you have to check your heart at the door because it can become an ego trip in terms of why did so-and-so not give? Do they not like me? What have I done wrong? What, mm. um, how have I not shepherded them or pastored them well in the past? It can become almost like you're a senior in high school running for student council president. Don't, don't allow it to turn into a popularity contest. Do not allow it to affect your ego. The Lord knows what you need and he is in control. And if you do it well and winsomely, um, you will raise the support that you need. And I think that's just an important caveat that surprises people as they, they walk down this path. Yeah, no, that's right. The Lord will raise up the people. It's, 
you know, up here, I don't know what the culture is like where you're at. Um, you know, I was told for fundraising, you're supposed to have these meetings with people and talk about different giving levels and then really just make this super awkward ask for a specific amount of money. I don't know that I've ever actually done that. Um, that's just not how we roll up here. Um, but what I did do regularly uh, was make our need known. Right. Uh, give people the information that they would need in order to make a gift. And, and people responded to that. Um, you know, I remember when we really turned the dial and said, now we're raising money. Our first newsletter went out with that appeal in it. Um, you know, a couple of people shared it and everybody that was waiting for it, they responded. And mm -hmm. of course you want to follow up with that. And if somebody gives you a card, you got to call them or email them uh, and say, Hey, you know, thank you for the gift. And uh, here's how you can give and, you know, uh, share your appreciation for their partnership with you. But um, yeah, it, it's funny that some of, some of those dynamics can really be different. The other thing I want to point out is uh, so for us, right, we're, we're planting a church kind of on the fringe of the PCA way up here in North Dakota where there aren't any churches. And so <laughs> I've been networking out, uh, not any PCA church. Right, right, right. That's why I like make, make that clear. There's plenty of churches. Um, I've been trying to network with 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 other churches around the country, um, you know, to kind of help our denomination grow and, and uh, spread out in our region. And some of those conversations, it's I got a referral from a friend and it's one email and the gift is in the mail. Yeah. That's other right. ones, it's 50 pages of who are you? How'd you come right. to faith? What's your call to ministry? You know, what's your view on this and this? Uh, you have to come and interview and, and it's a very long, I mean, maybe even a year long process sure. before you're even considered and you might not get any gift out of it. Right. And so, like you said before, sometimes you don't expect the generosity where, it could, where it's going to come from and maybe the places you expect it to come from might be harder and might be less fruitful than maybe you anticipated. But uh, I'm always uh, humbled and surprised when uh, new givers show up, um, especially yeah, those that little work went into it's a mysterious journey in some sense because you know i have the opposite issue from you when i contact churches outside of the memphis area or our presbytery which is north mississippi and in a good bit of arkansas it's yeah we're not interested in helping plant churches in the bible belt even though they have no understanding of how few pca churches there are in the Memphis metro area. So I didn't get a lot of traction outside of our presbytery and out of our just local demographic vicinity. Yep. So I have to rely on smaller churches, medium-sized churches. Goodness, I've had large churches within the state of Tennessee that have no interest whatsoever in helping us um, because their focus is in areas of the country, like where you are, where there are not as many PCA churches. So I've looked to individuals, I've looked to churches in our area, and, we, and we've had success. It's gone well. One of the things for me that's been noticeable recently is the importance of, I, you are 100% correct about a shotgun blast, and then I think you follow it up with a machine gun, because <laughs> I, I, <laughs> we're using some pretty violent imagery here for church planning. Uh, I sent out some information about our church plant to some pastors recently, because I, you have to, not only do you have to continually thank people, you have to continually fundraise. And 
he responded that he was going to pass it on to his elders for consideration. And he was thankful that I had sent him information about what we're doing and that he wished that I had done it earlier. And, and I laughed because that was the third thing that I've sent over the last 14 months. And so mm. one of the reasons that you continue to do it is not only because you need support, but to make people aware and yeah. to, and to remind them that you need help and you never know when in one particular church, when two missionary families have come off the field and they're not going to be missionaries any longer, and they suddenly have some funds available for a church plant, you have to yep. stay in front of them on a consistent basis in order to get the help that you need. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, even before you begin the process of fundraising, and maybe we can transition here a little bit, Sure, uh, you have to really kind of uh, crystallize uh, the vision and mission of your church. Of course, you know, every church has the same mission to make disciples, uh, to teach them and to baptize them, right? Uh, that's but, right. But um, to really put into your own words to, to identify the need in your community, right? You've done that work to figure out what your community, where you're going, what the needs are there. Uh, what does it look like to plant that church? Um, and, and then that's, right, you have to be so bought into the, the mission of your particular church, right? Because I, I don't know, I've not served on a mission board in a church, but I imagine especially churches that you might expect to be uh, big supporters of missions, get a lot of requests. And so uh, what is it about your, your particular uh, ministry that, that deserves their attention? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there, there's going to, there's a highly, uh, a high amount of relational um, capital that has to go into fundraising. Um, you know, if, if they don't know you or you don't have a connection, odds are you're not going to be supported by, by anybody. Um, I think that's true. So, that's right. And so maybe you don't have a relationship, but you build one over time. Uh, you know, you're sending them updates. They're praying for you. And by the way, that's once again, if the Lord's raising up people, uh, I'm so thankful for people that want to be on our prayer list. I, I don't mind or care if they never give a dollar uh, because uh, we need to be sustained by, by God's grace every day. And, you know, maybe they can't support us financially and, and they shouldn't feel bad about that, but they can support us uh, through prayer, through encouragement, even just knowing that there's a church that's praying for you regularly and their updates um, is, a, is an encouragement to church planners. Absolutely. So you go through uh, putting together, you know, an idea of a, a mission statement and, and your particular um, goal to plant a church and how you're going to do it, um, you know. I think one of the exciting parts for me was beginning to see that become tangible. And I think that's a big part of the preparation stage. Um, you know, typically you, you have to give yourself a little bit of a name. Uh, some people go ahead and they just name themselves right away. You know, we're Redeemer Church or whatever you want to call yourself. Uh, but oftentimes, and it was the case for me, you kind of copy what they're doing out in Washington. You're just the Washington. We were the Fargo Church Plant PCA. Right. Uh, what sure. was your first name here in your plant? You're the you're the Collierville project, right, or something like that. Mission. Yeah, it was mission. It was mission Collierville. We did the same thing, and then I allowed yeah. allowed our church plant to sort of do a bracket tournament in order to determine the name of our church. Um, I also did that the first time and found it really helpful and fruitful. Um, but sometimes I wish that I had, you know, thought through the name 
a little bit more carefully in the in the very beginning. But you know, talking about the prospectus or the ministry plan that you mentioned, not only is that significantly important for mission teams at churches and in, in, in trying to garner their support, it's it's very helpful for the core group and it's very helpful for the the church planter in in mapping out where this ministry needs to go in the future. And so in mm. my first church plant, you know, I would say there was a good portion of the prospectus. That's what we called it. There was a good portion of the prospectus that didn't come to fruition 10 years later or nine years later, but it was amazing to me how much of it was true and how it guided us and how it, casted vision and mission and, and the core values and the philosophy of ministry. And I would encourage any church planner in the first stage or the first phase, excuse me, to, to hammer that out and to, and have it done knowing that it can change over time. Some of it may be irrelevant, but it's going to give you a roadmap for the future. Yeah. And this is something you're going to be uh, repeating time and time again, not only as you're fundraising, but as you're meeting people, uh, and even as new people are coming in after you're kind of a, a ways into your church plant. Uh, I mean, that question, we've come back to this time and time again, why plant a church? Why, why, why do you need a church down there in Memphis? Why do you need a church in Fargo, North Dakota? Uh, what's going to make your church different than, you know, the church across the street from you? And so those questions, as you work them out, as you continue to find the language that not only you want to use to talk about your yeah. church, but also you want your people to use. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, that's that's a huge part of the preparation. And what's what's exciting to me, so I talked about the tangibility. So you got this name, maybe you come up with a logo, uh, you start writing that stuff out. That's what's going on uh, your your newsletters. That's what's going in your fundraising letters. It's you're beginning to put up a website. Uh, and you're writing that out, you're, you're just refining it over and over again. Uh, and, and I've changed mine significantly over time, just kind of giving it more of the language that I like to use uh, so that, you know, we kind of have these three or four things that I just continue to harp on as this is what we're about. And so that's, that's really a lot of the preparation work is, is crystallizing in your mind what you're going to be all about and why it matters. Absolutely. John, I think we're talking about the first phase of church planning. We've discussed fundraising. We've discussed community research and development. Uh, we've talked about uh, the importance of developing a prospectus and, or a ministry plan. Um, one of the things that has been surprising to me this second time is the actual move. And in our first church plant, we were already living in the metro area, and we just moved 30 minutes away to a different spot of the metro area. The second time we've left, we've gone from one state to another state. And I was really unprepared for how challenging that move would be, especially as I'm older and we've acquired more things in our home and we have children and um, just don't discount if you're a church planner and you're in this first phase how incredibly stressful and difficult the move is going to be for you and in particular for your wife and your children. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, when, when we moved to do our apprenticeship, we moved into a church 
and there was kids to be friends with my kids and there was people to unload the truck and fill our fridge and just love on us and it was a a, a great uh welcome and then when we moved to Fargo we we came as parachute planters and there was nobody here my father-in-law came and helped us unload the truck it was kind of a sad day and we realized pretty early on that we were more alone than we expected um I often tell people the story. I got an office a few months in and I bought some bookshelves from Ikea. And when I went to move them into my office, I realized I had nobody else to help me move them. So I had to buy a cart. <laughs> it was a sad day. Uh, and we've, you know, praise the Lord, we've moved on from then. And there's some men I could call to help me move things around if I need to. Um, but yeah, that was a jarring transition for us that we underestimated i mean we knew we were going out as as kind of you know cowboys on the frontier but until you live it until you unpack your box and realize okay this is starting um sure what next um it you don't really feel that that pressure um that transition and so you know uh, i didn't do a good job of this i don't know that anybody does but you know preparing your own heart, preparing your family, um, you know, as much as you want to cast the vision for other people that you're trying to reach or raise money through, um, you, you got to preach that to your family, uh, and That's to your right. own heart. That's right. Um, I mean, my, my kids love our church. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. the first meeting we ever had, my oldest daughter helped me, you know, pack the folders that we were going to hand out mm -hmm. and, and they're always, you know, if there's ever a reason we're going to have to cancel or miss church or whatever different little things, they care a lot. They, they want to be there. They, they are so invested in it. They, they view it as, as part of what they're doing. Um, and, you know, thankfully they're, they're young enough. They're just kind of getting it as we go. But, um, you know, there's some intentional shepherding, especially uh, of, of your marriage and your family that are, are really important that, uh, that I didn't do well, that I wish mm -hmm. I would have. Uh, been more uh, cognizant of before the move. Yeah, I would encourage church planners when they move. Your your tendency is because you're a church planner is hit, to hit the ground running. Where's my office going to mm -hmm. be? I need to network with people. Yep. I need to. My encouragement advice would be to just put that on pause and just focus on getting your house unpacked, loving your wife and your kids, uh, getting your house, you know somewhat finished if you will a lot of people when they move to a town and start a new job they're like we can accomplish this over the next year but in a church plant and with a church planting family your home is a central aspect of the ministry yep. in terms of outreach and hosp hospitality so go ahead and get that done don't stretch that out over the course of a year make that be a focus the office the networking all the things that you need to do will come get that, get that done. Yeah, no, that's right. Well, as you were preparing to, we were talking about this ahead of the episode before we started, um, as you were preparing to move or as you moved, what were some of the ways that, uh, you were putting together some infrastructure, uh, ahead of time, uh, to, to reach people, to get the word out, um, you know, certainly fundraising, but maybe even more locally, what is it? How do you prepare to even begin gathering people? That's a good question. So I, my experience has been in church planning that you have to be 
extremely proactive in terms of informing people about who you are, what you're doing and, and your plans for the future. And you do this over and over and over again. And it may not pay off in terms of contacts and networking in the beginning, Mm -hmm. but it will down the road. It will in the future, you will reach a point where you'll think this is just not helping. This is not productive, but just trust me in time, it will be. And so for us, we had a small group of families and individuals coming from a church in the Memphis area. But as we were getting the word out and letting people know and asking them to share our information, um, it, it brought, it was brought to the attention of several families that had moved to the area from out of state. They had connections with other PCA churches where I'm friends with the pastor and, and so they found their way into our core group, and that was super beneficial in the in the very beginning. That was even before, on some level, before we even moved here. Yeah, no, that's right. So, uh, you know, social media hasn't been a big uh, help in in a lot of ways, but early on, uh, putting together a page with our logo and our pre name name up there, uh, and, and giving our updates regularly you know, even having your friends and, and people share that. Um, one of the first, actually the first family I met with, they were, uh, they were former PCA people, uh, and somebody I went to seminary with shared our update and they were from Texas and somebody at their church in Texas used to live in Colorado where this family was. And they knew that this family had moved to Fargo. And so three or four, you know, messages later, uh, we had a connection in Fargo with, some people that are, are have been part of our church are, are a really big part of it. And, um, you know, the Lord just raises up those connections and it's, it's always fun to see how they come about, but yeah, putting together, uh, places for people to find on ramps. I was thinking about on ramps for our church. We'll get more into the gathering and in, in the phase two part, but you know, how can somebody find out more about you if they want to contact you? How do they contact you? Do you, do you have your email out there? Are you, are you, doing everything you can to um, make it easy, right? To remove barriers to, you know, make yourself as public as you can. Um, that's, that's what I was trying to do. And, uh, and, you know, the initial group of people are going to be people that are probably already on board with the idea of, of, of your type of church and your distinctives. And so um, if, if you can make yourself available and known, uh, they'll find you. <laughs> That's right. Well, but, uh, but uh, John, this, this will make you laugh. This is a good one. So we're, we've moved into our home. We we're in our subdivision. The, our church plant is started meeting. We have a core group and it, this goes right along with what you just said about creating on ramps for to, to your core group. So I meet a gentleman down the street. This just moved in to his home as well. And he asked, what I do for a living, I tell him, and he says, Oh, I'm a ruling elder in the PCA also. And I just moved here. Mm. And, um, and so he was already going to another church. And, um, even though he did have some interest in, in us, he just felt like he'd already put down some roots in that church. And he said, you know, you're not on the PCA directory. Otherwise I would, oh, yeah. I would have known about you. And I realized that I forgot to do that. 
And yeah, I just shook my head in disbelief the second time I'm planning a church that I made such a rookie mistake. But again, <laughs> yeah, you have to think through what are all the on ramps to my church plant and have I covered all the bases? Yeah, no, I, I think people often joke that's the most popular page on the on the PCA's website is the church directory. And yeah, it's something that basic, right? And there's other avenues. I know the, the Gospel Coalition has a church directory. I was telling you earlier, uh, I remember when we first got the call to come to Fargo, I went on the the Reformed Pub Facebook group, which got about 20,000 people, and and just searched through it for Fargo to see if there was anybody from Fargo in the group. And we've, we've made some connections that way. And so, you know, there's, there's all these little kind of uh, places where people reside uh, that you want to, once again, just make yourself known. Um, and maybe there's going to be a connection that comes out of it. So funny, just just happened. Uh, we're on this call. And uh, I got a phone call. And of course, I, I didn't answer it. But I got a voicemail, and I can see the transcription. And uh, it's from somebody at a, a PCA church following up on a fundraising <laughs> request. Hey, so, hey, the, the Lord so works God for that. God. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, no, I think I think we've said about all we can say in terms of the first phase of starting a church. Maybe we'll circle about circle back around later and address this more. But I think that's a a good start for someone who's hoping to start a, a, a reformed church. Yeah, no, I I would only give one final word, and that is that the habits and the rituals and the routines you set up early on are going to go a long way. Uh, it has to do with shepherding your family too. Um, you get this blank slate to figure out what your day is going to look like. Yeah. Uh, whether you're preparing, whether you've moved, what that looks like. Um, find a way to grow uh, spiritually, being in the word, being in prayer, uh, being dependent on the Lord, not just saying the laborers labor in vain if the Lord doesn't build the house. Uh, but, but really living that out. I know that's one area that I've had to recalibrate a lot in. Uh, it's really easy to just execute a plan, um, but but to really uh, foster early on um, what you're going to do when you wake up in the morning in terms of being dependent on the Lord uh, and and seeing Him build the church. I mean, it's it's always amazing. The most amazing things that happen in our church, I have nothing to do with. Uh, <laughs> the Lord mm-hmm. does it, mm-hmm. uh, despite my failings. Mm-hmm. Well said, John. That's a That's a good word, and that's a great way to end this episode. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you will continue to listen and share the Five Points Church Planning Podcast. That's the last word for now. Thanks to Auxilio for sponsoring this episode, and thanks to you for listening. You can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter and Facebook at Five Points Planting or by email at fivepointschurchplanting at gmail.com. See you all next time.